things I wanted to say. Number one, I think your motives for being here and your motives for wanting to break down the impersonality of the university, for wanting to have a real interpersonal relationship with faculty are thoroughly excellent. I think that there are a number of people from the faculty here who feel the same way that you do, who are very disturbed that the education we're having at UBC is not as good as it should be, that there are a lot of irrelevant courses, that there's a lot of very mediocre teaching, and we would like to see it improve. The thing that worries me is that I think that what you're trying to do is tremendous. I'm not certain that you're going to accomplish it. And I think that you're playing with dynamite if the thing misfires. And I'm a bit bothered by the word confrontation. Let's go have a confrontation with so-and-so. Because I think what you really want to do is have a discussion. I stopped four science and engineering students at the door this morning who were planning to come in here and go and throw punches and who were going to drag some of you out. It took a hell of a lot of talking to persuade four of them not to do it. But the interesting thing in talking to them was that they have many of the same beefs with the university that you guys have. And that as soon as you try to persuade them that if you go in and start a fight, you're going to suffer as much as everybody else, they're perfectly reasonable. And they're not really that different from you. So it seems to me that you need to be talking to them. You need to be talking to us. Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have in the studio today? Who are you? I am the candle on the UBC 100th birthday cake. I am the candle that talks today is. Who are you? It's the 100th anniversary of UBC. My name is Leora Kornfeld. I am returning here to UBC to talk to you about the 100th anniversary, and I also produced the UBC audio tour that That's celebrates... That's right now! It's That's launched right today. Now. It's right now. The premier was here at UBC today. The mayor was here at UBC today. And what are we going to do? We have all sorts of fun little highlights and tidbits. We have three prime ministers, two of Canada's shortest-serving prime ministers we have a front page challenge panelist. We have, well, we just heard some UBC students from well, 1968 fighting the power. And it's also International Women's Day. And I guess you're kind of using me for that. You're saying, oh, I'm doing programming about women because Leora's here. So we're getting Jane all Morphy, of that. Jane Morphy. Jane Morphy. Jane Morphy's but the Basically, narrator, Leora, yes. you've put together this audio tour of UBC that people can access right now if yes. they want to by listening to the Nightwater Human Serviette Radio Show or phoning a certain number when they're out here at UBC and they can actually find out all these little neat things about UBC little clips. What did we just here to begin an Nardwarda Human Survey Radio Show because people may have heard like some sort of cacophony of noises and spoken word but I don't know if they would possibly realize what they were hearing. This was an important Jerry Rubin-esque event. We were playing the way kind of it was. Misorganized. Spur of the moment. You said you have to throw this clip on. This is an important file that has been freed. It is an important file that was freed uh, 40 years ago in, in uh, October of 1968 so the 40th anniversary is coming up. Uh, the numbers are disputed, but somewhere between 1,000 and 3,000 uh, UBC students went to hear Jerry Rubin, who was a, a counterculture activist of the 1960s. He was speaking here, right here, outside of the Student Union Building at UBC, and this was at the height of the Vietnam War, and he was talking about... Um, 
you know, a, a lot of anti-war movement and, and uh, the different societal values. And at the end of his speech, he said, what place on this campus requires liberating? And apparently he had set somebody up in the crowd prior to that to yell out, the faculty club. And the next thing you knew, a th- somewhere between 1,000 and 3,000 kids went running over to the faculty club, which is on the other side of the campus. It was a private club where you weren't allowed to go unless you were a member. They went in, they stormed the place, they cleared out the liquor cabinets, they skinny dipped in the pools, they smoked all the cigarettes, they hauled in bongos and guitars and uh, gave all sorts of speeches and stuff. And somebody recorded it. I'm guessing, what kind of recording equipment would there have been in 1968? Maybe a little portable cassette deck? We something? heard exactly what it was, and people yeah. can actually hear this. Yes. Not only hearing you say it right now, Leo Cornfield, but if people phone 604-638-2661 and then push 104 on their phone, they can get that little tool yeah. if they're out at UBC, or if they're anywhere, they can get it actually on the web. But it's been preserved. Little tidbits have little been tidbits. preserved. But people might be wondering, well, how would I know to phone that number, and how would I know something happened here? And the answer is... With these uh, cell phone tours, which is what I've been spending my life doing for the last couple of years, we have signs up. You're actually going to see signs uh, up at UBC in this case. We have 15 historical sites preserved with these really cool archival photos. I've showed you some of them. You have been really digging the archival photos. There's fires, there's explosions, there's nudity, everything you'd expect from the UBC. Everything you would expect from the UBC uh, and more. And so you're walking past, you see a sign, you go, oh, gee, what's this about? Well, I happen to have a cell phone in my pocket and the great thing about a cell phone is it's not just a cell phone now it can also give you an audio tour and that's what we're trying to do through the nerd word of human serviette radio show here today on citr fm 102 cable 102 vancouver british columbia canada the university of british columbia canada and we began by that little excerpt there so that was really important like that was an audio document where had that been all this these years that little tidbit in a box somewhere, and really there was no way for it to get out because, you know, in 1968, somebody recorded it. Maybe it was on a cassette. Maybe it was on a reel-to-reel. Uh, thankfully, somebody did, but it languished in a box. There's a, an, uh, an archive office here at UBC, and they are the keepers of photos and tapes and documents and things like that, and they've been digitizing uh, records over the last couple of years, but there really hasn't been a great outlet for them. Some of them are going up on the web, some of them in this audio tour, uh, but freeing the files is what and that's it's all what you about. Did, like that Jerry Rubin snippet had not been played ever on the air. Any radio station, you've brought it here to CITR in commemoration of 19- the 100-year anniversary of UBC. It may have been played in 1968, but possibly not since then. But yes, today, March 7th, 2008, is the 100th anniversary. In 1908, on this very day, British Columbia legislators passed the University Act that created the University of British Columbia, which is where we're sitting today, which is what has brought you CITR. And that's what's so wonderful with the cell phone tour. They let you plut on there whatever you want to plut on there. And I say the word plut because you can say the word plut because you're on CITR radio. And that's how I met you, Leora, through CITR radio. I met you through Juice. Because you had a sign up, something to do with hydroelectric streetcar. Wasn't it that band, Hydroelectric Streetcar? I was interviewing a band, Hydroelectric Streetcar, and you brought me Juice out that day. I think that's you what You brought happened. me Juice out to CITR radio. Yeah. And, and well, well, now that I was going to say we're both alumni but i'm a citr alumna and you're still here it's really great though that you're able to like put all that stuff on this audio tour again the ubc audio tour 604-638-2661 and then enter in the digits you want also available on the web if people want to check out right alumni.ubc.ca slash 100 once again alumni.ubc.ca 
archive.ca slash 100. And also on that site, they have all sorts of the archival photos that we dug up during the research process. And you can send some of them as e-postcards to your friends because people can be listening. The Nardwar show is now an international show. This is like it's on Sirius well, we Satellite because you're podcasting. We are on CITR radio and TR sounds, sounds for Thunderbird Radio. Mm-hmm. And from your audio tour, I understood that perhaps UBC could have been called the UBC Seagulls. That we See, would have been the UBC that. Seagulls. I learned that. And that's why CITR is C-I-C. All Canadian radio stations have C. In the United States of America, K on the West Coast, W on the East Coast. I guess I is a placeholder, but C-I-T-R, Thunderbird Radio. Would have been C-I-S-G for Seagull. Seagull Radio. It could have been C-I-S-G, 101.9. And that's some little tidbit there. Again, the word tidbit totally entrenched here in my memory because all these neat little things you can let your fingers do to walking through the UBC audio tour. But really, 100 UB- years of UBC. 100 years of UBC. Please, come on back to the campus if you haven't been here in a while because chances are you're going to say, Everything looks really different, and I need help finding and my way around. And come back and relive, relive Re- the relive. Reuben protest. That's what's so great. The university allowed you to relive the Reuben protest through phoning up to places. And the university is inviting you at the website alumni.ubc.ca slash 100 to leave your own messages and to upload your photos. So if you have photos from the 1968 protest, if you have photos from seeing Los Populeros in the pit in 1982 or 3, like I did, if you have photos uh, seeing... Images in Vogue and Subball. I'm just referencing all these gigs that I went to. Or maybe Elvis Costello at the War Memorial Gym. You can upload those at alumni.ubc.ca slash 100. And we have a caller. Hello, are you there, caller? Yes. Go ahead to Leora Kornfeld, Greg Diamond. How did you know it was me? I'm a great fan of UBC, and you're two of my favorite UBC people. Thank you. I, Thank I just you. have a question for the guest, Leora Kornfeld. Yes, go ahead. Uh... Is there any information about one of your most famous grads earlier in the show? And I've been sitting here enjoying the show very much. Uh, you mentioned that UBC had three prime ministers, two very short-lived. Mm-hmm. Who was the one that wasn't so short-lived? I'm guessing Kim Campbell and John Turner were the short-lived ones. Well, we said that three prime ministers would be appearing. We didn't say that all of them were alumni, oh, so it was a little so just, bit of a trick question. Is there information about my one of my favorite UBC grads, John Chick Turner. John Chick Turner, Bachelor of Arts Honors 1949, given an honorary doctorate in 1994, and honored in October of 2007, just recently at the Alumni Achievement Awards. Well, as it turns out, Nardwar knows quite a bit about uh, Mr. Turner. In fact, he met Mr. Turner, I believe, 20 years ago, just around the corner from the CITR studios, was it not? Preceded by Pierre Elliott Trudeau and succeeded by Brian Mulroney, the Right Honorable John Napier Turner, PC, CC, OC, OG, QC, was Canada's 17th Prime Minister. He was born in the south of England, but spent his formative years in Ottawa, which would later serve as a backdrop to his formidable career with the federal Liberals. When his family moved to the West Coast, Mr. Turner enrolled at UBC, majoring in political science. Outside the classroom, he was an accomplished track and field athlete and sports editor for the student rag, the UBC. He was also an active member for the Alma Mater Society and Radio Society, CITR. After graduating, he returned to his country of birth as a Rhodes Scholar to read law at Oxford. Back home, after further study in Paris, Mr. 
Turner secured his membership in the Canadian bar and joined a Montreal-based law firm of Steichman and Elliott in 1952. Caller, you are fascinated by Kim Campbell and John Turner. How are they so short-lived for prime ministerals in Canada? Well, I think they both inherited very difficult... Uh, I, I, I mean, Campbell followed Mulroney, and Turner followed Trudeau, and, and uh, of course he had the patronage scandal. He had no option. He had to make Trudeau's patronage appointments. I think for both of them, unfortunately, although they were very qualified people, and of course John Turner was the golden boy of UBC, and I just have a bit, uh, a bit of extra info before I leave you both for this good show, but... Um, yeah, I think they both had, you know, they both, it was just bad timing for them, and they had uh, legacies and the desire for change that p- the Canadian public wanted. You've been a real Kim Campbell fan, haven't you, Greg Diamond? Because you authored the book Mondo Canuck, and I think you had a little shout-out there to Kim Campbell when she was involved with Reach for the Top, was she not? Well, she certainly was on Reach for the Top. She also hosted a show on CBC Vancouver, kind of a kid's show, uh, called Junior TV Club. So and, she was uh, a, she, she was, was like an Ken, achiever. very precocious yes. child, very at ease on camera, and interviewed. I remember seeing one clip at the CBC archives in Vancouver of her interviewing an elephant trainer at a circus and talking about content appropriate for children on TV. This so, is when she was ten. So we can salute Kim Campbell on International Women's Day and the hundredth anniversary of UBC. That's what you call a twofer in and, this business. And are, when you were reading there, is that from the audio tour or what, what He wasn't you? reading no, he was re- he was reciting from memory. That is actually from En Route magazine. No it wasn't. It's from the UBC Alumni Association magazine. And is this was one of his initials are two of his initials actually OG? Perhaps. Oh, now. Uh, now, uh, I would like to say, though, Greg Diamond, thanks for phoning to the Nardwarta Human Soviet Radio Show. Before you go, there aren't many dedicated listeners to the Nardwarta Human Soviet Radio Show as you. There's lots of dedicated listeners, but as you that would phone in and request a Kim Campbell snippet. Because the last time we talked live on the air, you phoned in during the Nardwarta Human Soviet 20 hour, 20 year interview marathon, and you talked to John Savage. Did you ever communicate with John Savage at all, author no, of England's Dreaming? I plan to i plan to but if i can just make the final link between this call and the link between the and and the john savage call from a few months ago um as you know nardwar i'm one of i'm i'm a fan of the show and i'm also one of the few callers who does the research that you appreciate so much so i just want to mention a quick um a bit of a page in the book called John Turner, The Long Run by Jack Cahill, published in the mid-80s, and it says Chick Turner, his nickname was Chick on campus, wrote a sports column for the student newspaper, UBC, called Chalk Talk by Chick, and later became the paper's sports editor. And um, it says, uh, one guy recalls, Turner once wrote in his sports column, this corner bills Doug Whittle's UBC Merman as odds-on favorites to edge out the College of Puget Sound, William Ed and Lewis and Clark entries, and to latch on to the first conference seaweed crown put on the velvet. This is what he was talking about, expecting UBC's swim team to win something. Thank you for translating that, because I could not now, decipher it. Now, he had it. this whole kind of 1940s kind of scat jive ah, lingo. That's and in the it book, is. it says he would always say to friends who were going out on dates at his fraternity, Beta Theta Pi, he would always say, Hey, snappy pair of kicks, who you featuring tonight? That's some good That's then, good guys and dolls talk. Guys and dolls completely. And then the final thing is Turner's hero then was Pierre Burton. 
who had worked on the UBC and had become a reporter on the Vancouver Sun. That is fascinating you mentioned about his hero because just for you, just for you, caller, we have a little clip of me talking to John Turner asking him about his heroes and you hear a bit of John Turner speaking in French. Again, this is all part of the Nardwara Human Serviette salute on the Nardwara Human Serviette radio show to www.alumni.ubc.ca slash 100 and the UBC audio tour. That name? No, that's not the. That is not the right one. Okay. Bye. Is, no, no, hold on, caller. Hold on. We have a. No, after hanging, are you still there, caller? Yes. Okay. After hanging on that long, we we will give you. We will get. Is that indicative, perhaps, of John Turner's career that I hit the button for the John Turner interview and it went to something else completely different? It could. It, it's it's promise, perhaps unrealized. Here's John Turner. This is not on the UBC audio tour. This is not on the UBC audio tour. Do do. Rony avait cédé tous les leviers économiques alors qu'il forme l'infrastructure du Canada comme pays indépendant. Et une fois la structure de l'économie subordonnée aux États-Unis. Mr. Turner, can I ask you a question? Well, what's this now for? This is for actually it's for CITR Radio. Oh yeah, what's CITR Radio? You were a member of, remember? Oh yeah, Red Sox. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. The great, the great Trekker Award dinner. At the Great Trekker Award dinner, yeah. and uh, my good friend Ray Perot, now a great senator, was the uh, was the president of Red Sox when I was working for the UBC. I was wondering, um, who are your main uh, idols? Would you say your top three idols? Gosh, that's tough right off the top of my head. I'd say Sir Winston Churchill. I'd say, uh, oh, I'd say uh, St. Augustine I enjoy as, a, as, a, as an idol. Uh, and uh, I like John A. MacDonald. John A. MacDonald? Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwadi Human Survey Radio Show. And I think Greg is gone. Greg is gone, isn't he? So, Greg, Greg, Thank Greg, you to a, a great Canadian On the other end of the radio, please, do-do-lutu. Yeah, you just did it all the way back in Toronto. That's Greg Diamond phoning in from Toronto, Ontario, a web listener to Nardwar.com and a web listener to www.citr.ca and a web listener possibly to www.alumni.ubc.ca. And Leora Cornfield, could you please update again the listeners what we're going through, what we're demonstrating today. We're working up to something. This is all about... I always wonder what I'm working up to, but I can tell you that we are celebrating 100 years of the University of British Columbia established upon the passing of legislation on March 7th, 1908. And by the way, this morning I was at an official event at UBC. Uh, Gordon Campbell was there, our Premier Sam Sullivan, our mayor. And get this, there were two women who were dressed in 1908 outfits and speaking like it was 1908. I know you love that little heritage feel. And... Let's go back to the 1930s and get the pep up. UBC, our city.
Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 12, Vancouver, Shkomi, Canada, and an Ardwater Human Serviette Radio Show with Leora Kornfeld from Ubiquity Interactive. And Leora, what's going on today? What did we hear? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating 100 years of UBC. Um, I produced the UBC audio tour available on cell phones, effective today. This if you come to UBC, you, you can check out like 15 different locations. You can, if you come out to UBC, you can check out Brock Hall, Main Library, Buchanan, Faculty Club, the CK Choi Institute, Natobi Gardens and Asian Center, First Nations Longhouse, Old Auditorium, Old Admin building, Cedric, Corner Library, Bus Stop Cafe, Legendary Cinnamon Buns, Great Trek, Khan, War Memorial Gym, Sub Engineering, Khan, B-Lot, and a barn kind of rhymes there. And what are these things? Like, you're walking around campus, you see these signs, and then you know to dial? Yeah, and they're signs, and what we have are these really incredible archival photographs that show um, how things looked in previous eras, and just gives you a different perspective on things. So, for example, the song that we just heard, Hail UBC, was written in the 1930s by a, a UBC student named Harry Harold Hal King, recorded by an orchestra and apparently never recorded again. And on top of that, should you want to record it again, let's say you have your own little combo, the sheet music for this song is available. Public domain. Public domain, and it's on the website. Like, if you're near your computer right now and you, you Google Hail UBC plus sheet music, you can find it. You know what? The university would love to have a new recording. Maybe some turntablists. And it's interesting. Get busy We're celebrating International Women's Day today on CITR. It doesn't mean that song to say, hail the men of UBC. You heard they that. They throw out the men of UBC. But we're going to get to a very important point about women's rights. Uh, that's coming up a little bit later in the show. Women's uh, rights and on the at tour UBC. that you're going around, like Natobi Gardens, I didn't realize that Natobi Gardens at UBC have something to do with Expo 70? Well, it's actually... Like, Expo 86 junk is all around Vancouver. For yeah, years... Mostly on your back. Actually, for... Yeah, baboom. <laughs> for years and years, actually, UBC had Expo fries. Did you know that? I know because that was at the end of Expo '86, they had to sell all their food. So oh they sold, no! Yes, they sold no. the frozen fries, and UBC bought some of those frozen fries. And does that explain so your for, behavior? For two years after Expo '86, I ate frozen fries from, from Expo '86 from McBurge. in the pit pub in. From- 
No, they weren't McBars. They were okay. actually the big thick ones. They weren't McDonald's fries. They were the big oh, thick. Okay. They were really nice little fries, and they were actually sold at UBC. So it ended up that 86, Expo 86 junk ended up at UBC, and I didn't realize that Expo, Expo 70, 70 junk was at UBC. <laughs> had been here for six well, months. How, how, how did Expo 70 stuff end parts, up at UBC? Parts of the apparently spectacular Sanyo Pavilion at Expo 1970 in Osaka were requested and actually shipped out to UBC and became part of the Asian Center, which is uh, right next to the Natobi Gardens, and you can find this this and other fascinating factage out on the UBC Audio Tour up for the rest of 2008 and provided to you free of charge thanks to the good people at the UBC Alumni Association. But, Lior, you put together this UBC Audio Tour. How did you convince UBC that you wanted to do such a thing, that they should have such a thing? Because yourself, you've gone to UBC, now coming back to UBC all these years later, there's basically nothing left, is there? Like, you could have said, well, over at that building, and it'd be like, what? building, Leora? Well, over in that sort of area, well, what parking lot, Leora? Like, how much had changed? Like, there was nothing there, was there? Here, here's like, the, here's was there any advantage that you went to UBC? Absolutely, because, and, and even walking around today, I, I did a bit of a ceremonial walk through myself, just to try and remind myself of a, a then and now type of perspective on UBC. There's a lot of changes that have taken place. There's a lot of buildings that used to be there that it still exists in my memory but no longer exist in the real world and those are some of the things that we recreated in the audio tour both in the telling of the stories and, and our narrator for the tour is the wonderful Jane Mortify, BC Entertainment Hall of Famer and um, also in the photographs that you see but you know what one of the biggest differences that I can tell you about UBC? CITR is still here. CITR is still here. And thank you for You're giving- still here but you know what? The pit is empty. The pit, you know, the pub downstairs, used to be lineups to get in every day. And that's amazing about the pit. On your UBC audio tour, I didn't realize the pit was named by David Suzuki. He named the pit. That's... The pit pub was named by David Suzuki. Research has proven that to be true. Expo 70, David Suzuki. It's great with all these little tidbits that are thrown through here. I love the tidbits. And actually, people should have faith in this audio tour as well, Leora Kornfeld, because you've left no stone unturned, as actually the Fortune and Maltese have a song called No Stone Unturned. They also have a song called Cat in Class as well. Because when you're in Chicago... And you have a chance to check out the trial of the century. Do you check out the trial of the century in Chicago? Do you mean in May 2007 when I was in Chicago for the American Association of Museums conference and I sort of... You you just used the phrase cut in class. I cut class. I ditched the second day of the conference. Why? Because I was walking past, I believe it was the Dirksen Federal Building in the middle of downtown Chicago and thinking, hmm, I saw in the news that there's a very important trial going on here. Now, if this trial was going on in Canada, wouldn't there be hundreds of people swarming around the building? Wouldn't it be impossible to go in? And it turns out there were not hundreds of people and it was not impossible to go in. So I was able to walk into that building, go through a very easy security check, and the next thing you knew, I was in the courtroom for the trial of... Conrad Black! Yes, so and I was in as- Chicago and you take advantage of that. And I think really great about that is with this UBC audio tour, there's a little tour of the sub building and you mentioned CITR. Thank you. Thank you so for Wait, what CITR. does it have to do? So are you connecting the dots that I was at CITR in the early 80s and then in 2007 I was at the Conrad Black trial and then later in the year I produced the UBC audio tour and then in 2008 I came to this building sub. Is that the connection? No, what I was thinking is when you're in Chicago, you think of the trial going on. Yeah. When you're in a sub building, you think of CITR, you know, important things that are changing the world. You're leaving no stone on tour Thank turned you. on this actual 
tourier. And let me say, you would make a fine prosecutor yourself. And we can check it out right now. Let's so do imagine it. right now. Can you give? Well, I'll like dial this up here. Okay. You're outside the sub building. You're standing so. outside a sub. You're walking along, going, hmm, gee, I wonder what I can do. I've got my iPod on, or I don't have my iPod. Oh, my backpack's on. Oh, look, there's a sign. There's a picture. It's got uh, a field here with some old huts in it. And oh, look, it says I can dial a number and I can hear a message an audio message about the significance of this building. So I dial a 10-digit local number. It's, it's, it's a free call, apart from your regular airtime charges, which may be free depending on your cell phone package. And uh, you're, is it working? Okay. Let's see what you'll hear. Let's see if we'll hear anything. Of course, the audio tour works. We're just trying to see if the CITR... Telephone system system flight oh, at UBC and has been since the building went up in 1968. Prior to that, Brock Hall was the campus's social and recreational center. Between 1937 and 1967, Varsity Stadium once stood in this area. Rugby, football, track, and baseball took place in the grassy areas you see around the building, with loyal crowds in the thousands cheering on their teams. Nowadays at Sub, you'll find club offices, lounge areas, an art gallery, eateries sure to satisfy all tastes, a movie theater, yes, lots and lots of diversions from textbooks, labs, essays, and deadlines. And what do today's students like best about Sub? Uh, sit with friends, chat. favorite thing to do in the UBC Sub is definitely eat. Let's see, I used to really like sleeping in the Sub in the conversation bit before they changed up all the couches and stuff. But now they have these new benches, and they're all, like, airport style with these metal bars across them, and they're definitely not as comfortable. Okay, so the airport-style seating in the conversation pit is not as conducive to between-class naps as those old cloth couches some of you may remember, but creature comforts at Sub have increased in other areas. One of the things that's changed most about Sub is the sheer variety of food now on offer. At one time, the culinary options were limited to sub-cafeteria and the deli in the basement. These days, you have your choice of bagels, burgers, burritos. The list goes on and on and on. Hey, it takes fuel to keep the student mind alert. And when alertness isn't top priority and you're 19 or over, there's always the gallery lounge on the main floor of sub and, of course, the pit downstairs. A bit of pit history for you. Did you know it was the first student pub on campus, opening its doors on November 28, 1968? At first, its location was on the second floor of sub, finding its home in the basement of sub in November of 1973. The price of a beer on opening day? 35 cents. Word is that the name The Pit came from David Suzuki, at the time an associate professor of zoology here at UBC, today known around the world as a pioneering environmentalist. Student campus media is also based out of sub. The UBC newspaper's offices are on the second floor of the building. It is the largest student paper in Western Canada, publishing Tuesdays and Fridays during the school year. The UBC has spawned many a well-known journalist and writer over the years, from chronicler of Canadiana Pierre Burton to former Prime Minister John Turner to Senator Pat Carney. You'll have the opportunity to hear the late Pierre Burton talk about his time at the UBC in just a moment. 
Also operating from the second floor of SUB is CITR, the campus radio station, broadcasting an eclectic mix of music, news, spoken word, and arts programming. To hear Pierre Burton, author of more than 50 books and proud alumnus of UBC, talk about his time at UBC, press 1. And you're still listening to CITR Radio. Will many people be doing that? Well, hopefully not. We have something exclusive. We have some files that you have freed here, right, Leo? Even more files have been freed. And once again, that was a clip from the UBC Audio Tour live starting today, March 7th, 2008. The 100th anniversary of UBC, the wonderful Jane Mortify, our narrator for the UBC Audio Tour that I was fortunate enough to produce for the UBC Alumni Association. Uh, Please come back out to the campus, have a look at all the signs. We hope that they will pique your interest. The sign and the message that you just heard was for SUB, the Student Union Building. You would have come across a very uh, interesting sign in the UBC blue and gold color palette with a picture of a man behind a typewriter, a man taken, or a picture of a man taken in 1941, a man known to many as the man in the bow tie as a panelist on Front Page Challenge, a man that you, Nardwar, have encountered yourself, and a man I believe we're going to hear momentarily, recorded in 1965. Pierre, what was the University of British Columbia like when you were there as a student? Well, when I arrived in 1939, on the UBC campus, I thought it was a very large and frightening university indeed. It was the largest educational institution I'd ever been in. There were 2,100 students. I had come across from um, Victoria College in Victoria, which was then a subsidiary of UBC, where there were only 200 students. And I had uh, taken my freshman and my sophomore years there, and I hit a University of BC as a freshman, but in my third year, and I was terrified of those 2,100 students. That doesn't seem like a large number now. We would call that today a small university. It was a very empty campus in comparison with what it is today. The science building and a part of the library, both have been enormously extended since then. The rest were semi-permanent buildings, and they were scattered about. The um, feeling was that I I felt lonely, and uh, lost in the crowd the first few days, but I quickly uh, got uh, my bearings. And then it became a very, I guess the word is cozy university. It was a university in which really everybody knew everybody else. I got to be in the university paper. And um, uh, I, I, by, by writing in the paper, everybody knew me, and I knew most of the people at the university by name. I think the girl that I later married uh, knew everybody there by name. My, my wife, Janet, I think still knows everybody that went to the University of BC. It was that kind of a university had another effect. Uh, it wasn't constricted because of its enormous acreage and because of its setting. You really felt free. And because you were separated from the town, and I'm not sure this is a good thing always in university, but UBC was seven miles from the center of town. I had to walk it some nights when the streetcar stopped running and I was out late. And I lived on the campus in a boarding house. Because it was so far from the town, you did have that kind of ivory tower feeling, that feeling that you're in a, the world of the university, that it was a sealed, almost vacuum-like area, that uh, you were removed from the hurly-burly of life. That has its advantages. It also has its disadvantages. But I think perhaps for me at this point, it was an advantage to be totally immersed in the world of the campus. When you were there, Pierre, you say you started in 39. Were you able to discern the effects that the Depression may have had on the university? Well, they were utterly stultifying. Nobody would spend any money on higher education. You couldn't get any money out of the government. 
nothing was going on in the way of, of building. The university wasn't much different in size and certainly in physical shape uh, than it had been in the last well, almost 15 years since the great trek from the Fairview Shacks in uh, 1922. It was in a, in a situation which, uh, through no fault of the universities, was stagnant. It couldn't move. It was like a fly preserved in amber. Um, they couldn't uh, hire any more professors. They were always um, having trouble doing building. Most of the building that was done at the time was done by the students who waived their uh, caution money and raised funds to build, uh, when I was there, what was then called the Brock Memorial Building, but which, in the interests of uh, headline size, we journalists named Brock Hall, and that name has since stuck. That seems like a very small building now, but it was a big thing when it opened. The first student union building on the campus. And the students also built the first gymnasium with their own money. Pierre, you must have many amusing or unusual incidents that come to mind as you think back on your days at UBC. Well, I don't know how amusing they are, but certainly I suppose the the thing that happened to me happened to lots of other students. But I remember when I walked onto the campus of the university on September 22nd, 1939, I went straight to the office of the Publications Board because I wanted to work in the university paper. I wanted to be a newspaper man, journalist. And I thought the best start I could get was on the UBC because I had noticed that University of BC editors went on to become journalists. Bob Elson was one. He's now with Life and Time. Stuart Keith, the publisher of The Sun, is another. Jaime Koshavoy, the columnist for the Vancouver province. Dorwin Baird, the radio man, all these people had preceded me to university and were already making their way in the big, cruel, cold world, uh, which terrified all of us. So I went to the University of BC Publications Board, and the first person I saw was a very pretty girl in a yellow sweater who gave me a big smile. Uh, she was, uh, had been on the UBC for a year, and she was very helpful to me, and um, I fell in love with her immediately, and um, seven years later I married her. I don't know if you call that an odd or amusing instrument, inc incident. <laughs> <laughs> but it was certainly a dramatic one. Uh, people, you make your basic friends, I think, at a university, if you have that tightly knit campus life that we had. A great many of my friends married other girls who worked in that paper, three or four, including Darwin Baird, for instance. He married a, a girl who's working in the paper. Lionel Salt, who works in the Vancouver Sun desk today, married another girl. We all piled around together, and an enormous number got married, and most of them stay ma stayed married, which is a pretty good sign these days. Well, apart from that, Pierre, there must have been some shenanigans down through the years. Uh, projects put on by the various uh, fraternities that, that would come to mind. These are the things, I think, that uh, people would be interested in. Well, I had nothing to do with fraternities at the university, and they had nothing to do with me. I don't believe in them. I think they're a very narrow aspect of university life. I think they ought to be abolished. In my day, they were terribly anti-Semitic and uh, anti-everything else. Uh, they were the negation of college life, which is supposed to introduce you to the broadest and widest spectrum of student uh, life. Uh, they uh, perpetuated uh, the kind of class system which university is supposed to get you out of, and that anybody in a fraternity met only people like themselves. So uh, I don't think they even indulged in many shenanigans in those days. i tell you an interesting thing. We were discouraged from shenanigans at this time because the war had just started, and the public was sort of anti-university. They thought the university kids were slackers.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show with Leora Kornfeld, creator of... The UBC Audio Tour. And let me just say that it is not I who is encouraging the unscholastic behavior mentioned in that song. What did we just hear? We heard Gun Class by Fortune and Maltese from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And before that... Pierre Burton, UBC alumni, talking about slackers in 65. He was interviewed in 1965. I found that uh, in uh, some of the files that I was fortunate enough to free uh, while working on this UBC audio tour. And uh, it was an anonymous interviewer, but asking some good questions because uh, Pierre Burton was on campus between 1939 and 1943. And being the 20th century um, history scholar that you are, Nardwar, you, of course, realize that was the height of WW2, the big one, and the interviewer was asking Pierre if he was involved in any campus shenanigans, and he was talking about how those were frowned upon because there was a war going on, and there were people the same age as Pierre, he was a student at that time, you know, 20, 21 years old, who were getting uh, sent off to do battle. So, you know, they weren't allowed to have crazy raucous frat parties and stuff like that, and they didn't want that news getting out there. So, But Pierre, they did throw people into the lily pond, no, didn't they? He did mention something about the lily pond. What was that? Did they throw people into the lily pond. Yeah. You talked about throwing people into the lily pond. Now, were these recordings, what were they made for? Were they made for, why were they made back then? Like, what were, what were they documenting back then? Just and you could hear these. Where can you actually particularly hear that clip of Pierre Burton? Where does that fit in in a UBC audio tour? Again, we're talking about the UBC audio tour. Come out to UBC, you can see 15 different things. Brock Hall, Main Hall, Main Library, Buchanan, Faculty Club, C.K. Choi Institute, Nicktoby Gardens, First Nations Longhouse, Old no, Auditorium, Old Administration Building, Cedric Corner Library, Bus Stop Cafe, Legendary Cinnamon Buns, Great Tech Cairn, Ware Memorial Gym, Shabau Room, uh, Sub Building, Engineering Cairn, B-Lot, The Bar. There's so much. There's so much and history you call here. you UBC and you see these signs and then you dial the number. With your cell phone. 638-2661 at 604-638-2661 and enter in the code. That and you then, see on the sign. And, and in this particular case, if you're standing outside of Sub, the Student Union Building, you see a portrait of Pierre Burton in 1951 sitting behind his typewriter because uh, he was involved with the UBC newspaper, one of UBC's most prized alumni, Pierre Burton, the late Pierre Burton, who you also met, didn't you? Who are you? I'm Pierre Burton. I've just put journalist on my passport. I think that's good enough. Finally, Pierre, in the 1960s, did you ever, like William S. Burroughs, use hallucinogenics to enhance any of your writing? Not unless you count pot, grass, but not to enhance my writing. I would never write one word under the influence of either a drug or alcohol. It, it throws your timing right off. I know that I go on a television program or a radio program or a public speech. If with one, even one drink, I wouldn't take one drink. I wouldn't smoke one joint because uh, that throws your timing off. It throws your thinking off. It throws everything off. If you want to be sharp, stay sober. But you did experiment with uh, marijuana then? I didn't experiment with it. I just smoked it. <laughs> it was an experiment. <laughs> the kids had it, and we were sitting around. We used to smoke joints. I still do. I smoke with my kids. All right, and thanks so much, and uh, keep on rocking in the free world. Okay, thanks. That was Pierre Burton in an unidentified year, speaking with cub journalist, then cub journalist, Nardwar the Human Serviette. And what do Nardwar and Pierre Burton have in common? We both were members of CITR Radio! And neither of you have one drink, not a single drink, before you perform. And you have held true to that credo, haven't you? We have indeed. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't sleep. 
Isaiah either on CITR we're FM 102. We're scared straight. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The Nardwater Human Servant Radio Show talking about the UBC Audio Tour. On this UBC Audio Tour, one of the locations is the UBC War Memorial Gym. And yes. again, Leora, I have to thank you again for subliminally putting in CITR Radio and myself in there because we talk about the War Memorial Gymnasium and it's mentioned that one of the gigs that happened at the UBC War Memorial Gym was, War Memorial Gym was the UBC UB, UB40 Fine Young Cannibals gig. And you know what? I slid that into the script because I know that that was a pivotal moment in your life. And that's basically the only reason I did it. Because was it really that significant a gig? I mean, I saw REM play there. Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. The Cramps played the there. The Cramps played there. George Thurgood and the Delaware Destroyers played there. And why did I mention Actually, UB40? I might be wrong on that. Maybe the Cramps didn't play there. Because remember, there are two different locations. Remember, there's the War Memorial Gym and then it was the UBC Sports Center. Remember, some gigs yeah. were not at the War Memorial. They were mm-hmm. at the war- Sports Center. I think the Cramps might have been at the Winter Sports Center. If anybody knows, give us a call. 604-822-2487. I think it actually might have been. But yes, the UBC War Memorial Gym hosted UB40 and the Fine Young Cannibals. And before the gig, CITR had a beer garden. See, beer was involved with CITR. B- and it's called Bazizzer. They had, yeah, which is a very unique UBC type thing. CITR had a beer garden. I went there. And next thing you know, I'm part on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada. As you can become a member of CITR Radio as well. Anybody listening there can become a member of CITR Radio. And you can also announce gigs and also announce it as International Women's Day tomorrow. We have a little announcement there, Leora. A charity concert for World Vision UBC uh, from 7.30 till 11.30 tonight. Local bands bring life back to the pit. What? What do you mean bringing life back to the pit? Of course, I remember the pit as it was in its heyday, but life is being uh, brought back to the pit tonight, apparently. A couple of bands, uh, Sweetheart the Sessions, um, and guests from 7.30 until 11.30 tonight, and that's a charity concert for World Vision UBC. So you've just left the pit pub and you're walking towards the War Memorial Gymnasium and then you see a sign and then could you please describe what I would be doing then? Well, you'd see a sign and you'd be standing in, a, in an area that is very developed with all sorts of buildings. You've got the new UBC bookstore. You've got uh, the Woodward uh, section of medical buildings. There's a new little complex with shoppers, drug mart. This is... I, if you haven't been out to UBC in a while, it's actually quite overwhelming. All the frat houses are gone, you know, in Fraternity Row. I think, is that Westbrook? They're all gone. Uh, condos have moved in. The frat houses have moved into a complex that looks like condos uh, further down. And uh, you will see a picture of a building standing in the middle of nowhere, just some mountains in the background, and it's a photo from the year 1951. When you say the words, the gym, here on and campus... you this... People think of this building, the War Memorial Gym. It officially opened in 1951, the result of five years of efforts spearheaded by students. Starting in February of 1946, students organized funding drives and an awareness campaign so that a new, larger sports facility could be built on campus. Prior to the construction of the War Memorial Gym, athletics at UBC took place in a variety of locations. The first gymnasium on campus was built in 1929, a time when the student population hovered around the 1500 mark. By the mid-1940s, not only had that number swelled to approximately 6,500, but students had served in the war, and a fitting memorial was desired to honor those who did not return. Each November, UBC holds its annual Remembrance Day service at the War Memorial Gym. 
alumni, faculty, staff, students, and members of the local community come here to pay their respects. Today, the War Memorial Gym is home to many of the UBC Thunderbird teams, such as basketball and volleyball. But UBC's teams didn't always have a specific name. They were simply called Varsity. So how did we get from Varsity to the UBC Thunderbirds? UBC athletics historian Fred Hume. That name first appeared in January 1934. The student leaders at the time decided we needed a nickname for our teams. So they had a Name the Team contest, put it out to the students, and one of the finalists was Thunderbirds. They decided, okay, we'll put this out again to the students for a vote. The students decided to have the right-hand candidate, which was Seagulls. And actually, Seagulls got most votes. So the student leaders at the time said, enough of this. We're going to go with Thunderbirds. And virtually the next day, the teams were referred to as Thunderbirds. And while the name Thunderbirds stuck pretty much immediately upon its selection in 1934, it wasn't until over a decade later that the team had official permission to use it. That use was sanctioned in an event led by the chief of a nearby First Nations community, the Kwikwetlem. In addition to being home to various Thunderbirds games and practices, the War Memorial Gym has served as a venue for events ranging from pep rallies and sock hops in the 1950s to Harlem Globetrotters games in the 60s and 70s to concerts by bands such as R.E.M., UB40, and the Fine Young Cannibals in the 80s. And now, first-year students gather here at the beginning of the school year for the Imagine Orientation Celebration. This building also has architectural significance as one of the early modernist buildings on campus and also as a building whose very design acknowledges a post-war change in attitude toward women. By building two sets of locker rooms in the gym, one for men, one for women, a new page was turned for female athletes. If you'd like to hear more on this topic from Rodri Windsor-Liscom, UBC art historian and visual arts professor and author of The New Spirit, Modern Architecture in Vancouver, 1938-1963, to press 1. To find out more about UBC history and events, visit our website at alumni.ubc.ca slash 100. You're also welcome to leave your own UBC memories there, in writing or by uploading photos. The UBC Audio Tour has been brought to you by UBC Alumni Affairs. If you'd like to hear this message again, press 9. If you're finished at this stop, please hang up. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Show Me Canada. Now, it provides you with an option there of this. What, what are we listening to here, Leora Kornfeld? Highlights from the UBC Audio Tour going live today. This being the 100th anniversary of UBC, March 7th, 2008. And also the day before International Women's Day. And I guess I would be one. And our wonderful narrator, Jane Mortifee. And she is- hinted that we should hit number one, speaking of one, where we'd get some information kind of related to International Women's Day, right? Yeah. Yes, so let's do that. The turning point building on the campus in a number of ways, the War Memorial Gymnasium, which was, in terms of structure, quite experimental in its roof truss system and was a a building that was really masterminded by two interesting sets of people. One, the people associated with the School of Architecture here at UBC, Fred Lasserre, who'd um, worked with one of the great European modernist firms, Tecton, 
The other group who are really important in the War Memorial Gymnasium and in changing the architecture of Vancouver to something that was modern as against neo-Gothic and very much more kind of the tie back to the original sort of British imperial origins of the university were the students themselves. And uh, there's an interesting story there which isn't always brought out about the turning point at UBC in terms of gender because the gymnasium was originally seen as essentially a male preserve, but it became a place where the increasingly important presence of women at UBC was registered in terms of the disposition of the changing rooms. And I think one of the interests of UBC campus is actually the diversity of architecture here. It's almost like reading um, the history of uh, later modern ideas of higher education and the place of the state and the nation in that process. And of course, how we understand uh, culture. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And Lior Kornfeld has been kind enough to bring in some unaired little tidbit extra clips here from the UBC Audio Tour. Yes, it's a tour that you can take starting today through to the rest of 2008 as we celebrate 100 years of the University of British Columbia. The UBC Alumni Association were kind enough to commission me to produce an audio tour made available to people's cell phones for free. Come on back to the campus, look for signs, post it at 15 sites of historical significance around the campus, and hear messages like the one you just heard about the War Memorial Gym. And even you, Nardwar, you've got a lot of information in that noggin of yours, but there's stuff that was new information to you. Well, first about the UBC War Memorial Gymnasium, and thank you so much for throwing out the props to UB40 and Fine Young Cannibals. Who was speaking there, and what exactly was he speaking there about? That is uh, Rodri Windsor-Liscombe. He's the head of the Department of Art, History, and Visual Arts here at UBC, and he's also the uh, author of a book about modernist architecture in Vancouver. And he was speaking about the fact that when the War Memorial Gym was being designed, this was the late 1940s, the original architects only had one set of locker rooms in the plans, and what kind of locker rooms do you think those were? No women allowed. Exactly. NWA. NWA. I was just going to say NWA. But between the time the blueprints were drawn up and the actual building was built, this would have been the late 1940s, believe it or not, women were saying, hey, what about us? We can throw basketballs, too, and hit badminton birdies. And by the time the building opened in 1951, there were, in fact, women's locker rooms and men's locker rooms. And women were actually being acknowledged as athletes. Although, if you look through the UBC archival photographs, you can see pictures of, you know, women field hockey players at UBC going back to World War I era. But finally, the building acknowledged women's locker rooms and men's locker rooms coexisting peacefully and happily together in the War Memorial Gym opened in 1951. And some of the UBC alumni that women became prime ministers. It's absolutely true. There's one in particular. Her name was Avril when she was a student of Prince of Wales Secondary School in Vancouver, later known as Kim. Kim Campbell and also John Turner. So UBC has turned out two prime ministers and there's an interesting stat for those prime ministers isn't there, Leora Kornfeld from Ubiquity well, Interactive? let's just say they weren't two of Canada's longest serving prime ministers. I believe the stat Two of is, Canada's shortest serving I, prime I ministers. I believe, if Wikipedia informs me correctly, that JT John Turner uh, had 10 weeks at the top and I believe this next lady we're going to hear from 
had 16 weeks. However, they were very accessible, which is really cool. And I had a chance to be able to speak That's to how accessible they were. You I, got to both of them. Bah, boom. Yes, I was. And this is when she was running in that election that she lost in. And I approached her at a rally. I think it was at the Plaza of Nations. Listen closely what she's saying. I think at the end, she says something to the effect of, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. And as well as, I say the word Rush Limbaugh. I didn't even know it was Rush Limbaugh, but I just said Rush Limbaugh. So I threw out the wrong name there, too. But this is Kim Campbell. We haven't forgotten about her. On CITR FM 102, Cable 12, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada. This is not on the UBC Audio Tour. Hi, Kim. Um, why do you use In Excess and not a Canadian song at all? I've got lots of Canadian songs I've been using, but New Sensation is a great idea. Are you the female? Kim? Kim, congratulations. Thank you very much. Waiting to see you in 24 Sussex Hall. Kim, are you Canada's answer to Rush no, Limbaugh? I'm not, I'm not. Don't forgive me. Kim, are you Canada's answer to Rush no, Limbaugh? I'm not, I'm not. Don't forgive me. Kim, are you Canada's answer to Rush no, Limbaugh? I'm not, I'm not. Don't forgive me. Kim, are you Canada's answer to Rush no, Limbaugh? I'm not, I'm not. Limbaugh? No, I'm not, I'm not. Limbaugh? I'm not, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. You're still listening to, hopefully, CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada, as represented on the UBC Audio Tour. Well, that piece wasn't, and you can see why, but that was one of our country's fine prime ministers. Accessible prime ministers. And earlier in the Nardware show, we had my interview with the other prime minister, Prime Minister John Turner. And there's another prime minister that passed through the East Hollowed Halls of sub-building as well. room 207? It was room 207, 209. Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau passed through here. Tons of people have come through the sub-building. I remember seeing Noam Chomsky at the urinal here in the sub-ballroom. Jerry Rubin spoke outside the building, and look what happened at the faculty club. A couple thousand people went, occupied the place, skinny dip, drank all the booze. So we leave the building, but we want to get some food. What was the Bus Stop Cafe? Because that's on the tour as well, and the cinnamon buns. Now, the Bus Stop Cafe was the original diner type of cafe on campus, right in the middle of campus, so across the street from uh, the chemistry building. Do you remember it? It was like a... It was kind like the Tomahawk the 50s in diner. Very 50s, the horseshoe-shaped lunch counters, and uh, the waitresses were um, very, let's just say they were maternal. They wore the dresses with the little aprons on them. They may have even had the little hats. I can't remember exactly. But one of the things that UBC is very well known for are cinnamon buns, and, and I tell people that they were the size of textbooks. They used to scare me, but I remember people getting the UBC cinnamon bun and the coffee, and that was all they ate for the entire day. Do you remember the UBC Cinnamon Bun? I never experienced them, but I did experience B-Lot and the Bus Stop Cafe. And B-Lot was pretty neat. The parking barn, near the barn, near out. 25 cents. I remember when I came out to UBC to actually park there. It was 25 cents. And, those, and, and now it's like 10 bucks. It was like 25 cents like in the 1990s. And Buchanan also, if you're going around doing the UBC audio tour, there's some neat sort of architecture that you can get examined when you check the audio tour there. Like about the stairwells. I learned about the stairwells in the Buchanan building. They're quite unique. Because they are suspended. And that's what to Professor Windsor Liscombe, who we heard just a few moments ago, he explains the modernist significance of that, of not attaching the staircases to the building to actually have them floating and suspended. And you see that in a number of buildings around the campus at the faculty club. You see it, I believe, at the War Memorial Gym. You see it uh, at Buchanan and I think at the Grad Center I didn't as well. see any of it because most of the time I was living in fear of getting chucked into that lily pond by the... UBC engineers? We are, we are, we are the engineers. We can, we can demolish 40 years. 
recorded by Leora Kornfeld in the Cheese Factory. Well, that's not quite how it happened, but those are actual uh, UBC engineers who are out there on campus. <laughs> Actually, there's the lady who recorded it right there, Katie Comley. She's a News 101 staffer, and Katie was out there doing field recording for the UBC Audio Tour. Did, were, did you actually do the recording with the engineers? Can I, you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was. Um, my very good friend, uh, Mitch, who I know through uh, classes, is the only engineer I know, and I phoned him up around <laughs> exam time and asked him if he could please fit me into his schedule, and uh, meet with some of his engineer friends at the Alpha Delta fraternity, um, which is predominantly engineers, and they sang the song for me, and they were fantastic and very helpful, and it was a uh it was very rousing. And you have to rep the engineers, don't you? Because they did steal the Rose Bowl. They, they did... stole the Rose Bowl. They did the ultimate prank, which was suspending a VW Beetle. They did the Lionsgate Bridge. That's pretty hard. They did the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco in 2001. That's hard to do. That really caused a lot of problems. There was whole articles written on that. Like, there's like a three-page yeah. article on the claims on that. And apparently <laughs> the perps, the perpetrators, have not since re-entered the U.S. And That's Katie did some of the investigative work for the UBC Audio Tour. I I tried to get yes. in there and I tried to ask them the hard questions, but they actually surprisingly didn't know a lot. I think they try and keep a lot of it under wraps. But some of the raw interviews you did are quite fascinating, Katie. Oh, you've heard the raw footage. Well, for instance, when one unnamed CITR ex-president <laughs> talked about how the clock, the clock at UBC, the clock tower, the clock tower yes. I thought the clock tower actually was a real bell, but apparently it's an MP3. Is yeah. that true, Katie? Um, according to my unnamed source, yes, it is. It's an MP3 now. But, and you know, back pre-MP3, it wasn't an MP3. <laughs> and that's all rapid on the UBC Audio Tour. Could you explain, Katie, what is this UBC Audio Tour? What do you do? Have you tried it out yet? Um, I haven't personally tried it out yet, but it's a very cool tour uh, organized by Leora's company where you walk around to various sites on UBC campus, you dial in a number on your cell phone, and it comes up with a little interesting factual blurb about UBC, the many different parts of it. Well put. <laughs> and it's fantastic. I listened to a couple of clips online, and they're great. You should definitely... People should check it out. Thank well, you. in person, and you look for the signs, and you do the dialing. But Leora has gone just above the call of duty. You've got even more Pierre Burton ready for us here, ready to, ready to queue this up is, here. This is Pierre Burton again interviewed in 1965. And what's the background of this particular? Was it one long interview with him? Uh, 1965 was the 50th anniversary of the Fairview Shacks, the uh, campus of UBC that was around the VGH area uh, between Canby and Oak on 12th. Before they came out to the Point Grey campus, they were at the Fairview Shacks. And so the 50th anniversary of that was celebrated in 1965 in Pierre Burton prominent alumnus that he is. You can never get enough Pierre Burton, can you? No. Actually, this morning, Katie was at the official event with Premier Campbell. And did they mention Pierre Burton 20 or 30 times? I think so. They brought up his name credit. Yeah. There's a whole lot of name dropping going yeah. on. Here he is again. Thank you One much, Katie and Leora. And do-do-do-do-do. Do-do. What about the sports program? Because of war years, was that pretty well curtailed, too? You weren't involved in anything like that, eh? Uh-huh. Well, you know, ever since I kicked a football goal in soccer in grade eight in my own goal post and was told I didn't need to play anymore, I've never been a sportsman. Uh, there was a great deal of sport at the University of BC when I was there. However, a lot of my friends were big block men. Uh, some of them are my friends today. We were, they were just starting a kind of football then. There wasn't much, we, but we did go to some games, bought the traditional chrysanthemums and they had a cheerleading section. Uh, there was uh, no sculling that I can remember, which is odd because UBC's sculling team now has such a reputation. The big team 
if I remember right, was the basketball team. UBC basketball team was, was the Canadian, I think we were the Canadian champions for two years in my time. We used to go to the basketball games. The only sport I ever indulged in was basketball. Once a year, the members of the publications board, uh, dressed up in old newspapers, played the members of the student council in what is undoubtedly the worst and most hilarious basketball game in history. Whether that tradition still survives, I don't know, but it has been long established since I was there, and um, I played that game. Pierre, you started with a goal in mind at UBC. Did you have any idea that the various things that you're involved in now in 1965 would be the ultimate end of your ambition? No, I didn't. I simply intended to, be a, to try to be a good newspaper reporter. It never occurred to me that I would get any higher in that scale or that I would go on and write anything else but newspaper stories. But you know it should have because certainly the university was one of the strongest influences in my life. The university taught me I could do things which I didn't know I could do. And I'm not talking here so much of the scholastic end as the extracurricular end. I was very much involved in extracurricular activities, far too much for the uh, uh, feelings of some of my professors. I thought nothing of skipping classes. I was in the University Radio Society. I gave some of the first uh, broadcasts uh, on the Radio Society and so on. And I think I should have known from the various things I did at university that I might be doing various things of that kind later on in life. Have you ever entertained the thought of politics? Certainly not. <laughs> I, I, you know, at university, the people are always get, trying to get me to run for the student council. I, I said, no, I'm a journalist, and I, I don't uh, think I'd be very good at politics. I'm a loner. I'm not very good at shaking hands or telling people what they want to know. And uh, though I have been asked to run, oddly enough, by all three political parties, which tells you something about the state of political philosophy in this country, when all three parties had asked me to run and think that I could subscribe to any of them, but I have um, so far resisted it successfully, and I think I shall continue to. Has UBC anything that sets it apart in your mind from other universities, Pierre? Yes, it has. It has several things. I think the strongest thing that it's got is a very strong student tradition. Uh, I told you a moment ago that it was the students who built the two major buildings that are constructed on the campus in my day. This has been a a tradition at university since the days of the Fairview Sachs and the Great Trek, which is commemorated by the ivy-covered cairn in the center mall. It's a, a university which, more than any other university in this country, is run by the students. I don't mean to say that they choose the faculty members or anything else, but they do run their own affairs. The University of, of BC paper, the UBC, which I am proud to have been an editor, is perhaps the freest paper, free, that is, to from the deadening hand of faculty interference of any college paper uh, in Canada. The student government runs itself. And I think that's a good thing. And I think this kind of esprit de corps, which is summed up in the motto Tuum Est, is a very important part of university life. Now, the second thing, of course, is the university's physical setting. It's isolation from the city, though it's not quite as isolated in the days when I was there. I think the streetcars now run all night or something runs all night. Surely you don't have to walk seven miles back to the campus if you're living there, as I did in the fog. Um, but <laughs> the physical beauty of the university, the fact that there's room on the campus to spread around, the fact that it's not constricted in the way, for instance, that the University of Toronto is constricted, I think gives the University of BC a special flavor, a special quality that puts a stamp on people. I think UBC uh, graduates are somewhat different from graduates of other universities because of this environmental factor and because of this, fact, this traditional factor, the, fa the, the business of the student tradition. 
I think also there's a standard of excellence that the University of BC over the years has tried to promote, that they try to get the best people, and that they're now wealthy enough to be able to do that, or have been until recently, though I don't think the government has ever given them as much money as they deserve or should get or that it should give them. I hope the voters will reflect that thinking every time they vote for somebody. But sure, it, it is a university that's unique, not only in this country, but in North America. I don't know of any more beautiful campus that I've seen anywhere in the world, and I don't know of an institution that I'm more in love with. And that was Pierre Burton, UBC alumnus, chronicler of Canadiana, author of more than 50 books about the country, mostly about trains. And former CITR member. That was some well, was raw, that was some raw hosty note. Now, hang on. He, he worked for the UBC newspaper. Did he do Radsock, too? Yes, he was part of CITR. We've claimed him. Name him and claim him. <laughs> Name him and claim him. And All part him. of the UBC audio tour. Again, more information at www at http colon slash slash www dot. But here's the really important part. Alumni.ubc.ca slash 100, because we're celebrating 100 years of the University of British Columbia, and I think you're going to be celebrating a little bit of comedy right now. Is that right? 